If you will go with me in your Bible, in your Bible app, however you find the word, we will be in Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7 in the CSB translation, and it reads like this. Now, I say that as long as the heir is a child, he differs in no way from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. Instead, he is under guardians and trustees until the time set by the father. In the same way also, in the same way we also, when we were children, were in slavery under the elements of the world. When the time came to completion, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then God has made you an heir. Amen. 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 Uh, thank you, Josue. The title of this message is for my note takers, Who's Your Daddy? Who's Your Daddy? Right? And depending on where you are in life, when you hear Who's Your Daddy, you may think about all kinds of stuff. Um, if I ask my eight year old, Who's Your Daddy? he'll say, You. Um, but if I ask someone of a little bit more experience and age, who's your daddy, you might want to fight me. Um, you might want, you know, there, there are some, you know, some things about that, but I'm not going to try to dispel any of that today. I want you to ask yourself, who's your daddy? And uh, we are in a series called Freedom, A Journey Through the Book of Galatians, and I teach in series. And so, you know, this is just a continuation of what we've been talking about for the last three weeks. So, you know, um, we have podcasts up. If you missed a week, you can go back and check that out. But I, I feel like it's important to be here because I feel as though God wants to take us on a journey through whatever we're, forever, whatever we're learning, especially if we're doing it through a series. So we're continuing in Galatians chapter four today. And so last week we talked about justification by faith is the promise that God gave to Abraham and to Abraham's seed. The seed being Jesus, who, would, who faith in Jesus, we talked about trusting and believing, would bring about justification by faith, and you will also get the Holy Spirit in that package deal. And, and what I want to talk about today is that there is a distinction between God's children and all other children. There is something uniquely distinct about being a child of God that other people don't have and Paul is answering this question today but Jesus also kind of answered the same question there was in John chapter 8 um, Jesus always had conversations intense heated conversations with the religious elite of his day the Pharisees and he got to a point where they were talking to him and you know they were it was a, a debate about who is their daddy um, Jesus said that yo if you were heirs of Abraham because they thought just being Jewish made them heirs of Abraham. If you were heirs of Abraham, then you would believe in me like Abraham did. But Jesus told him, no, your daddy is Satan because you follow after his kind. He was a liar from the beginning and all you guys do is lie. So this question of who's your daddy is a biblical question. If you just want to know, like, did I just pull that out the air? Now, Jesus asked, who's your daddy, to a group of people who thought they knew who their daddy was. So Paul furthers the discussion here with the Galatians, and, and he points out that the Ten Commandments, or the law, is still inferior to the promise, but he wants to look at it um, from a little bit, from another way of showing us that if you're under the law, you're like a child 
who does not have full rights, who has not fully grown up. And his, the terminology that he's using here for his audience in that first century Greco-Roman world, they would have understood that a child in a house really has no rights. They don't have, um, you know, a lot of, they can't have a lot of say over their life. They're limited in their decisions making, and they don't have access to their inheritance yet until the father says, now you can have it. And so he can, he can, compares the child to a slave. Not like we think about slavery, because in the first century, slavery in their time, it wasn't always race-based. It wasn't wholly race-based. Um, it didn't always include, it included a lot of limitations. There was some cruelty in it. Yes, definitely, no part of slavery is great at all, good at all, ideal at all. But it, it worked more like a debt system. A credit system. If you owe somebody something, you can work off the debt. So when he talks about slavery, he's not talking about the cruel elements of it. He's talking about the limitations of it, of a lifestyle that you can't live. So even though the child is in the home and he's the heir of everything, he's going to get it, but he can't get it until a certain time. So we're a young church. We've been here only a few months. And even though we're young and we're doing some things or we're up and running, we still have some limitations on what we can and can't do. There's a ton of stuff that me and Brenda would love to do, programs and all kinds of stuff, but you know, I don't do this full-time. I'm a bivocational pastor, which means that Monday through Friday, like you, I go to a full-time job, and then this is my part-time gig, if you would, if you would think about it. After work, put in study time and all kinds of stuff. There's a whole bunch of stuff that we will want to do, but we kind of have these limitations upon us. So it is for anybody who would still say that the law is a preferred way of living. Paul's saying that you're no different than a, than a slave. And he's telling them that to try to keep the law is, is to try to live a life of slavery. And not just the law, but any form of false religion. Any form of false religion which we Gentiles were under. Like anything that would, would say that in order for God to love you, in order for God to accept you, you have to perform to get that from God. Then he says that's a false religion. He says the promise is greater than the false religion. The promise is greater than the law. So he's using an analogy to describe that there's a better way of living. He's, he's continuing the conversation about how the promise is superior to the law. And so this perspective he's talking about is purely based upon legalism, performance, trying to earn things from God. And he says, look, you're no different than a slave. And you have been, what's the title of our series? Freedom. He's reminding us of how free we are in Christ. But then Paul says this in verses 4 through 5. Those verses will pop up on the screen. In Galatians 4 through 5, he says this, when the time came to completion. Some of your translations will say when the fullness of time had come. God sent his son. God sent his son. There's a whole lot to unpack on that because God sent his son and his son was born of a woman. The incarnation, that God become a man. God didn't have to come in the form of a man. God could have showed up any kind of way he wanted to, but the way God set up the world and the laws of physics and, physics and biology, in order for a baby to be born or a man to be born, he has to come through the womb of a woman. God chose to, he didn't violate his own laws. That's a whole other topic. But in order to step into human history, God stepped into the laws that he are already the parameters that he set up to say that humans exist like this. The only thing he violated or violated, not violated, but brought forth a miracle was the fact that it was a virgin birth. That Mary never had sex. 
even when she was pregnant and married. This is why she was a virgin. So, um, yeah, yeah, I'm messing with y'all today. The virgin birth. It wasn't just that the conception happened without a man. It was that the whole time she was pregnant, they never engaged in any kind of intercourse, which made her a virgin, and Jesus came through the virgin birth. God didn't have to do it like that, but God did it like that, right? He was not just born to a virgin, the incarnation, but he was born under the law. He came as a Jew under the very law system that he set up. To why? To redeem those under the law so that we might have or receive adoption as sons. What is Paul saying there, point one? He's saying that it's time to grow up. He's saying that it's time to grow up. The coming of Jesus is a coming of age, and it's also a coming of age, not just in the fullness of God's time, but also a coming of age in our lives. He says, when you were a child, you thought like a child, you acted like a child, you believed like a child, but now that you're a man, childish things have gone away. When you were a child, you needed the law. And God said the law was good. The law is still good. He said the law was good because it protected you. It showed you what sin is. Go back last week. We talked about it. It it was temporary, though. It wasn't supposed to be forever. And it was through a mediator, so it wasn't the best way I wanted to relate to you. But it was good for the time. But now that time is over because Jesus has come. In the fullness of time, God has already established that some things in your life must end. Some things in your life are already written to end at a certain time. So the law proceeding over as a way to relate to God, which was it was never really supposed to be that way, God said that time is over when Jesus has come. And Paul said that anyone who will want to continue to live under the guidelines of the old covenant is still a little baby. You don't have access to your inheritance. You don't have the free life that God has already purchased for you. Meaning this, sometimes you hear this, you're living underneath your means. You're living below your means. You could have more, but you don't have more because how you're living keeps you away from all that God would have for you. God's best is not the law. God's best is Jesus. So he's trying to tell them again, keep putting your faith in Jesus. You guys with me so far? We tracking? This redeem means to buy out. The idea is that Jesus bought, he bought freedom, not brought, but bought. Like you go to the store, you buy groceries. He bought freedom. He bought sonship. He bought adoption into the family of God. This is what the promise of Abraham does for you when you put your faith in Jesus Christ. You are no longer a stranger. You are no longer a slave, but now you're a son of God, a daughter of God. You are royalty. You get to live in heavenly places. Look, I don't care where you go on the earth. The Bible says that surely goodness and mercy shall follow you all the days of your life, and you're going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Look, he prepares a table before you in the presence of your enemies. This is what God does for his children. This, is, this does not happen for slaves. This happens for free children of God. When you were adopted into the family, they would have understood this. This was a Roman, uh, a legal term. They would understand you get full access to whatever the father has. You don't get treated like a stepchild. You don't have to eat in the pig trough. But you get to eat at your father's table. God, Jesus has redeemed us, bought us back from death, from performance-driven living, from legalism. And may us sons and daughters in the house of God. 
Thus, reliance on the law is a sign of immaturity. This is why we got so many people, uh, like, you know, and who grow up and they won't get a job. Age doesn't make you mature. Age don't make you mature. Having a wife don't make you mature. Having kids don't make you mature. Maturity, there are signs to being mature because there are plenty of people out here who think because they're over the age of 21, they can do whatever they want. But guess what? They're not doing nothing. They're immature. And Paul would say to have access to freedom, but to still obey a system that has been done away with is a, a, it's a sign of immaturity. And Paul uses childlike behavior a lot in his writings to show how we are, to show spiritual immaturity. He compares it to being like a child. But those who have Christ Jesus have grown up. Those who have Christ Jesus have grown up. Why? You put your faith in what God says is better. So no longer are you like a child who has no access to the inheritance, but you have access. Not only are you free, but now you have access to everything God has prepared for his people through his promise. So to go a little deeper, to help us understand this a little bit fuller, just like in chapter three, Abraham brings back, I mean, Paul brings back Abraham. I told you about Father Abraham. I'm not going in circles today to get dizzy. <laughs> he brings back Abraham to show us that Abraham had two sons. He had two sons. He had the son of a promise, but he also had a son born from a slave. And he tells us this in, in Galatians 4.23 on the screen. But the one by the slave was born as a result of the flesh. While the one by the free woman was born through the promise. In that time, see, if a woman was past childbearing years or if she couldn't have a child, the custom was in Genesis, this is Genesis, we're going all the way back to the first book of the Bible, Genesis. In that time that Abraham and Sarah lived in, you could take your, your servant girl and you can give her to your husband and say, look, I can't have kids but maybe she can have kids and I'll have a family with you like that. So then her kids, the, the, the servant girl's kids will become the children of her master, her employer, right? That would be her children. So this lets you know here that there was nothing wrong with Abraham's reproductive system. There was something wrong with Sarah's reproductive system. But Paul tells us that in doing so, what they did was they showed some doubt and what God said about the promise. They, 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 went, they, they said this. They said, let, let me help God out. I know what God said, but um, I don't see how that's going to work right here. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to help God out. I'm going to get involved in the mix. I'm going to, you know, here's a girl. She's young. She's pretty. Abraham was like, bet. No doubt. We got that. <laughs> see, don't make the Bible. So don't miss it. Why would, you know, Abraham could have been like, no, nah, girl, we standing on God's promise, right? We believe in God. God said it, and I'm going to believe it. She was like, you want her as a wife? He was like, for sure. You know what I mean? <laughs> he took her to, as the wife. But what that was a sign of, that was a sign of a work of the flesh. That was, work of the flesh means that that was something that they did on their own. That wasn't a promise. But they said, I'm going to help God out by, get, by doing this myself. 
Has anybody ever been waiting on God, but somehow you find yourself not really waiting on God? <laughs> you find yourself kind of helping God out somehow, some way? I know he said, don't call, but I'm going to call. I know he said, call, but I'm going to wait for them to call me because if they want me, they're going to come after me. You call, you find yourself helping God, but you're actually hurting yourself. And God's saying that, look, good or bad, good or bad performance does not move me. Your performance, good or bad, does not move me. Why? Because point two, God moves through his promise. God moves through his promise. Everything God wants to do in your life is through a promise that he already spoken over you. Everything that God wants to do through your life, he's already, he's already said is yours. It's all about the fullness of time. Come on, we're connecting the dots here. It's not that you can't have it. There's a appointed time to have it. So everything that God wants to do in your life, he wants to do through his promise. So therefore, taking Hagar and producing this son that you say is going to be the heir that God blesses, he says, like, no, nah, man, send that son away. Because that son, that work, that, that, that outcome has nothing to do with the best outcome that I have for your life, which is through the promises of God. So look, look, remember, remember, God had already chosen Abraham and Sarah. Paul's writing us, right? We already talked about this a few weeks ago. Paul, God, by his grace, right, his inexhaustible character, his unearned favor, the character of him, the goodness of God had already chosen what was broken to bring about what was perfect. He already chose what was written off. He already chose what people said was no good. He already chose what did not work to bring about what was perfect. The perfect being Jesus. And he used broken Abraham and he used broken Sarah to do it. God has already chosen your broken life to bring about what is perfect in the world. He wants to display his grace, his love, his character through all the leaky broken parts of you. Because there's something beautiful about the oil that leaks out of vessels. Come on, when it rubs up against somebody else, you may think it's a wound, but for them, they find healing. Come on, you got to let it flow. God has already used what's flawed to bring about what's perfect. There was something flawed in Sarah that God said, I want to show you that I can still do it in you. Because I move through promise, not performance. I move through my grace. Because grace is not opposed to earning, as, as, as Dallas, Dallas Willard said. He said, but it's, a, it's opposed, not opposed to effort. Slow down, I'm getting happy. <laughs> grace is not opposed to effort, but grace is opposed to earning. Yes. What does that mean? What, is that, what does that mean? What does that mean? We all adults here, right? We're talking about who's your daddy. In order to be a daddy, you got to go do some stuff. So the earning part was Ishmael, the son that they worked on that God said, don't do that. Like, that's not how I'm going to do this. That was earning. That was trying to give God something that he didn't ask for. The effort came where Abraham and Sarah entered into that marriage room, that little intimate moment, and they went and did what was necessary yet again, even though it didn't work time after time and time again. They went back into their bedroom, and they did what you do to become a daddy. That was effort because through the effort, God brought the promise. Effort is doing what you know God will want you to do. 
Effort is participating with the work that God is already doing in your life, not trying to drum up and create something different. Effort is actually showing up. Effort ain't talking about, you know, what God is doing or talking about the, the people that God is using. That ain't effort. God ain't in that. I don't care who your favorite YouTube preacher is and all that stuff. I got my favorites too. But what I look for is for people who are speaking what God is saying. Not talking about the church, but how do we uplift the church? Not talking about other people, but how do we uplift and love other people? There was a big pastor's lunch here in the city one day, L.A. There's a big um, movement coming here to do a big outreach in our city. It was a room full of pastors downtown, downtown L.A. I couldn't go. I was at work. But I got invited to it who were there because they were trying to figure out how can we love our city, not tear down the city. See, when God is in it, God's always trying to build something. He's always trying to build something when he's in it. Though you don't see what it's going to be, he's trying to build something because there's promises, not just for you, but there are people around you who have yet to enter into the promises of God. And God wants you to get in on the effort level, not the earning level. God wants you to get in on the effort level like you actually trying. Come on. We, we're going to talk about this next week, but there's something. When you have God in you, there's some things in you that you just can't not do. This is why I say, like, you can tell in your life, you can gauge your life by how much you are actually doing the things that God has said to do. Come on now. You should be gauging your life. You shouldn't be gauging your life by people on Instagram. You shouldn't be gauging your life by the people, by your car you drive, by your house, by how much money you make. No, you should be gauging your life, examining yourself based upon what God has said is fruitful. What God has said is best. What's your marriage supposed to look like? What's your single life supposed to look like? You should be gauging yourself by that and participating with God in the season you're in. Because God wants to work by his grace and his favor in your life through his promises. Come on. In Psalms 103, it says this. In Psalms 103, it says this about benefits, about having access to the promise of God. Another word for benefits is favor. Come on, this is what the favor of God does in your life. In Psalms 103, the verses uh, 2 through 5, it says this, My soul, you don't have this, Jaden, my soul bless the Lord and do not forget all his benefits. He forgives all your iniquity. A favor of God in your life is forgiveness. He heals all your diseases. A favor of God in your life is healing. Of diseases, not just sicknesses, but whatever diseases you, God says, I can heal that. He redeems your life from the pit. We already saw how Jesus came to buy us out, to, to buy us from death, to buy us from sin, to bring us back into the family of God. He, he redeems your life. He crowns you with faithful love. We sang about that and compassion. It's yours in Christ Jesus. It's a benefit, the favor of God on your life. He satisfies you with good things. What are you satisfied with right now? What are you finding satisfaction in? Because God wants to satisfy you with good things. Your youth is renewed like the eagle. Your strength is renewed like the eagle. Come on, these are what the benefits, the favor of God wants to do in your life. Those are just some things that the Bible says. I, I looked up, I was like, how many promises are in the Bible? I Googled it. How many promises are in the Bible of God? One person said there was like 3,000, but then another one, someone else said there's upwards of 7,000 promises of God in the Bible. 
What does that mean? He told Abraham that I'm going to make your descendants so numerous as the stars in the sky that if you can count them, that's how many you have. It's fair to say that God's promises are so numerous you can't count them. For some of you, I'm speaking a foreign language. I'm speaking something so foreign to you. Because all we ever been told about is what we need to do and what we can't do and what, how we need to look and how we, we don't need to look and what we don't need to do and who we can be around, separate yourself, come out from among them. All you, all, that's all you've been hearing, but you don't, we don't ever talk about the freedom that God has put you in a wide, spacious place. We're so focused on so little things. The Bible says that, that we should be thinking about things that are above and not beneath. But we spend our time so much thinking about what's beneath, not just here on earth, but what's beneath you. That's what we spend so much time thinking about, that we can't get our minds above the rat race, the sickness and the hurt. Every, where we come from, we, we focus on where we come from. and We focus on what we're trying to do to get away from all that and all that. So God says, no, focus on things above, not on things beneath. This is why you have to have a relationship with your word because you can't find, I don't care how many, I love the beach. I work in Santa Monica. There, I, I mean, there's a, there's a beautiful pathway and all that stuff where I can sit on my lunch break and I can look out over the ocean. I can see the Santa Monica Pier. I can see Malibu on a clear day. You can sit all the way on the peninsula. That's cool. I ain't never, ever felt God in the waves. I ain't never, I watched the earthworm struggle to crawl. I didn't feel connected to the earthworm. I was not one with the earthworm. Talking about I'm one with God. No, the nature, the beauty of where we live shows off the glory of God. So when I watch the earthworm, I'm like, dang, God made an earthworm. He cares so, that thing, to me that thing looks like it's struggling, but he's doing what he was created to do. The waves doing what they're created to do. The sun shining doing what it was created to do. I was not created to find God in the earthworm because God has placed himself in me and then he's revealed himself through his word so that I need to get a connection to God's word if I'm going to understand what his promises are for me got to get a vision got to get a word got to know for you come on now why 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 children have the ability to go to their father and remind him of their prom- of his promises the word that he spoke, as a child of God, when, when Moses was talking to God and God was done with the people because this is before they were violating all his laws and he was done for them, it was Moses who stepped in and said, God, don't forget what you said. <laughs> That's, don't forget what you spoke. Don't forget about your promise. Don't forget about your word. Because if you don't do this, then people are going to talk bad about you, God. Remember what you said. Remember how much you love us. Remember that we're, we're out here because you brought us out to free us. Moses went to his father and reminded him of his promise because their performance wasn't kicking it. And God, by his grace, spared them. Performance, good or bad, doesn't move God. It's the promise that moves God. So we, we just got Disney Plus in our house. We canceled DirecTV, too much money. Got Disney Plus in the house. And I told them that we were going to get Disney Plus, the kids, that we would get it like around the first of the month so everything would line up on the, you know, automatic withdrawals. I checked my account on like Monday. I was like, oh, we're going to wait till Tuesday. 
<laughs> I was like, I got to wait till all this lines up right. Right. But what they said to me for two days was, are we going to get it? When are you going to get it? You said we were going to get it. They didn't bring me a report card. They didn't tell me, look, I made my bed. Can we get it now? They didn't tell me that I took, I washed the dishes. Can we get it now? They didn't bring any performance to me. They brought my word to me. And I was going to do it anyway, but they don't, they're not thinking like I'm thinking, right? They don't know I'm checking to make sure my bank account lines up with all this stuff, right? <laughs> they just know that daddy said we're going to do it. You don't know what God is thinking about. All you need to know is he said he's going to do it. Because God moves through his promise. Come on, give the Lord a hand clap right there for that. So here's a question for you. Here's a question for you. We're talking about who's your daddy. We're talking about it's time to grow up and how God moves through his promise. But there's a last part here that I, I need you to see. I want, I, want to, I want you to consider this. What cries, what cries out in you? What cries out in you? Because if you are a son of God, if you're a daughter of God, there's something that cries out in you. There's something that says that, like, there's, 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 there's something in me that just wants to be connected to him. That's me personally speaking about me. There's something in me that just wants to be connected to God. I've wrestled. I've struggled. I've tried to get it right. But at the end of the day, there's something in me that just wants to be connected to God. Like, I don't feel right if I go a day or two without reading my Bible. I feel disconnected. And what happens when I feel disconnected to God, usually my, my other relationships become disconnected. I become a little bit more tempted to do some stuff, to focus on some things when I get away from my father. Something in me starts to cry out. Something in me starts to cry out. What cries out to you in, in desperate moments? What cries out in you in lonely moments? What cries out in you in, 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 in insecure moments? See, in, in my Bible, I read that there was a psalmist that said that his soul was dry. His soul was thirsty like a deer, panting for water, looking for water, and his soul longed for the Lord. I read in my Bible that it says that in John chapter 4, there was this woman who came to a well, and that Jesus, she encountered Jesus, and Jesus said, look, man, if you drink from my water, this living water, you'll never thirst again. And what was crying out for her was something that five husbands could not fulfill. Something that was crying out with her was that the sixth man she was with could not fulfill. Then she met a seventh man. His name was Jesus. And he promised to satisfy her in ways that she can only imagine. Because five is the number of grace, right? There's, there's things that you've experienced, that you've gone through, that the grace of God did not allow to take you out. But six is the number of man. There's only so much you can do in your power, but seven is the number of perfection. And she met the perfect man who had the perfect solution to what she was thirsting for. Come on, Jesus in Mark chapter 14, verse 36, he cried out, Abba, Father, because what you're full of cries out of you. What you're full of, if you're full of pain, it's going to cry. The blind man on the side of the road said, God, I want to see because he was disconnected. He couldn't see his way. And Jesus used that to paint a picture of spiritual blindness. And some of us have access to God, but we're spiritually blind because we ain't cried out because we got too much pride, but your pride is crying out. 
Because what you're full of cries out. The blind man cried out because he wanted to see. The woman at the well, didn't she? She had an attitude with Jesus. But she was crying out because she had a hole inside. Come on, the, the, the psalmist wrote and he said, I'm, I'm, I'm thirsty. I'm dry. I, something's not right. And then Jesus, on the darkest day of his life, cried out, Abba, Father. And Paul writes to us in verse 6 of Galatians chapter 4 that, And because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. If I can get the keys. He cries out, Abba, Father. See, because, as I said, but it's worth repeating, what you're full of cries out. Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. So when he got into his tight moment, what cried out of him is what, not what people said about him, but what the Father was drawing him to. He cried out, Daddy, I need you. Because when you're a son of God, when you're a daughter of God, there's something in you, the Spirit of God in you, which is the deposit that he's made in your life, the seal that you have God. Because I said there are things that, dis- there's something that distincts the children of God from everybody else. And the spirit of God is what distincts you from everybody else. Because while everybody else is clamoring for likes and everybody else is clamoring for attention, you know what your heart is clamoring for? More God. <laughs> when, when you don't know where you're going and you can't see your way, you know what you're crying for? More God. You know, when, you, when you're lost and when you're depressed and when you're down, you know what you're crying out for? More God. When you're anxious, there's something that the anxious, anxiousness is an alert system that you ain't got enough God in your life because you're worrying about things that you should be praying about. Come on, come on. The Spirit of God wants to alert you to some things in your life. His, his convictions are just his kindness saying that something's off or keep doing that. It's not always bad when when the spirit cries out. Sometimes it's a good thing. Like, yes, keep doing that. Because the fulfillment you get from doing what God's called you to do is unlike any fulfillment you'll get from doing what man has called you to do. So keeping the law, keeping performance-based legalism and earning will never, ever get you the satisfaction that Jesus has already provided for you. The power of God is in you. The resurrected power that raised Jesus from the, the dead is in you. You don't lack anything because you have everything. Rich beyond measure. Full of promises. No one can tell you anything about your life because God has already spoken over you. What cries out of you? In the lonely time. Hopefully it's Jesus. He has given you the spirit of his son. He has marked you with favor, with grace, with mercy. Don't bring your Ishmael because it's not right. Bring your faith. Bring your faith. Bring your faith. What do you need to do? What do you need to know? What's your takeaway? Performance, good or bad, doesn't move God. It's his promise for you. It's his promise for you. Stop bringing daddy your report card. Start bringing him your heart. Start bringing him your love. Start start bringing him your surrender. He can put a broken heart back together. There's some things you're just going to have to go through. Because even though Jesus cried out, Father, but he said, nevertheless, 
not what I want, God, what you want. And that's when Jesus was exalted above every name. That's why he sits at the right hand of the Father. That's why the Bible tells us to, to think about things above and not beneath, because Jesus ain't down here no more. He up here. He has put you in heavenly places. Everywhere Jesus is, that's where you are an heir of the Father. What cries out of you today? When you and your wife, you and your spouse aren't at odds, where do you want to look for satisfaction? When she make you mad, where are you trying to go? Where are you going? Are you praying in that moment? You can be mad. I get mad all the time. But then there's something inside of me that, 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 that won't let me go down the tunnel, that won't let me go down to the dark place. I'm broken and I'm leaky just like you, but the spirit of God cries out and says, uh-uh. And I have to say, not my will, Father, but your will. Come on. Is that the cry of your heart today? Are you crying out to Jesus? Are you crying out to Jesus? Are you crying out to Jesus? Only you can answer that. Got to do some soul searching. But I do know this, that because the spirit lives inside of you, you won't have to look that far. Just ask the question, Father. Father, we thank you. Father, we thank you. Thank you that we are sons and that we are daughters. And we have the greatest gift ever given to us through the power of the Holy Spirit. Come on, why don't you stand up with your feet all over the building to with me. And if you feel comfortable, why don't you lift your hands as a sign of surrender? I'm no different from you. The best thing about our church being the size that it is, is that we get to grow together. We get to grow together as a sign of surrender. If you feel moved to. Come on. Father, we thank you right now for your spirit. Thank you that you have marked us distinctly from everyone else on the planet, Father. Moses said that he wouldn't go without your presence. Now you, through Christ, have, have, have given us the spirit of your son that indwells inside of us, Lord. And we get to go everywhere together. Father, lead us as you led the psalmist, Lord God, to living water. Lead us like the woman, Lord God, satisfy us with living waters, Father. Lord God, like the blind man, open our eyes to see that there's more, to see that there's greatness inside of us, to see that you're for us and you're not against us, to see that healing is ours, that favor is ours, that grace is ours, Father. Open our eyes to see what we can't see, Father God. Open our mouths to speak to you in ways we have not spoken to you, Father. For you know us and you love us, Father God, and all you're waiting to do is for us to come to you because you've already come to us. As Paul said, Lord God, help us to chase after that which has already grabbed a hold of us, our hearts, our imaginations, our minds, Father God. Just, just engulf us with your love, Father. Because we need you like never before, Father. There's so much pain. There's so much trauma. There's so much change that we're trying to break and we can't get there on the loan because we need your spirit, God. And you told us that wherever your spirit is, there's already liberty. There's already freedom, Father God. Help us to grow, to walk, to move as you lead us by your spirit, Father. And Lord God, we just say yes. We say amen. 
because your will is great. You know what's best for our lives, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said amen. Come on, give the Lord a hand clap.